we are in week two of a series called The Road, and it's based on the Roman Road, which is a popular uh, evangelical tool that people, or uh, an evangelistic tool that people use um, to teach others why we need to get saved, what that means, how to have a relationship with Jesus, um, how to receive salvation, and then how that affects your life, what your life looks like after you meet Christ. And I know for a lot of us in this room, this seems like, well, I already did that a long time ago. I've been saved for years and years and years. I've, I have this relationship with Jesus. And so your temptation is to hear about a series like this and to check out like, okay, in, in four more weeks when this is over, I'll check back in. Um, but I encourage you not to tonight. Um, I encourage you to, to buckle in and to listen and to take notes and to look at these verses and to let it sink into your heart and realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is just as relevant for the person who's been saved for 50 years to the person who has never met Jesus. Um, so let me explain that to you just a little bit. Um, last week's verse is up on the screen. It was Romans 3.23. Guy explained to us through this verse that good isn't good enough. Being a good person is not good enough because the scripture tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's every person in this room. That's me. That's every person outside of this room. We have all sinned and need the blood of Jesus to wash us clean so that we can stand before God at the end of time and be declared righteous and be welcomed into his arms. And so, like I said, if you're like me, many of you in this room experienced God's forgiveness and grace in your life a long time ago. Um, when I was in third grade, I think I was nine, I went to church camp. And I went into camp, a normal kid, um, liked to swear a little bit around my friends, wait till mom and dad went to bed and turn on cartoons that I wasn't supposed to watch. Um, just typical kid stuff. Um, but I came out a kid that was forever changed that was unpopular at school now because I was too religious, because I was always sharing my faith and taking my Bible to school, inviting my friends to church. I remember the first Bible my parents got me, I still have it. I highlighted every single verse in the book of Proverbs because I was like, this is too good not to highlight at all. This is just amazing. My life was changed. And so I hear you when you say, I've been there, I've done that, I'm past the salvation point in my life. I'm well into growth and maturity and fruit bearing. But I implore you tonight to please pay attention to these verses and to the different steps of the Roman road because this isn't just for you, but this is for the people in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your workplace that do not know Jesus Christ. And they are dying to hear what these verses say. They are dying for the truth of the gospel and the freedom and the power that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is useful in the life of the believer from salvation until death because it reminds us of the work that God did in our hearts and lives. It reminds us of the clean slate that we've been given and it wells up gratitude inside of us. But it also sends us out to share the salvation story with others. Can you get me a drink, Guy? I'm getting a tickle. Thank you. And so that's why Guy coined this, for, or coined this phrase last week. <coughs> it says, we are sinners saved and sent to share the salvation story. And this right here is why this church exists. This right here is why it's important that we are coming together and that we were growing and we are moving. These verses that we are teaching you, these verses in the Roman road will equip you to do the most important work of your entire life. And that's to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, teaching them how to follow Jesus, what that means for their marriage, for their finances, for their families. And this will teach you how to share the gospel effectively. And so we ask you to buckle in and to really take this in. 
Um, bow your heads and pray with me, please. <coughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight for the grace that you've extended to so many of us. Lord, you died on the cross to take my sin, to take the sins of so many people in this room, to take the sins of the world. Lord, we just, we praise you for that. We praise you that through a relationship with you, we can stand righteous and holy before the God of the universe and that he will look at us at the end of our lives and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so Lord, I pray that tonight you encourage us and you teach us, you bring people to mind. God, that we need to share the gospel with, that we need to share our faith with, that we need to love intentionally. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would come and just move in hearts and lives. Lord, transform those in this room that don't know you, that don't have a strong relationship with you or have never met you. And, Lord, just send us out in power. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we love you. Amen. So tonight's passage, all of that being said... Tonight's passage is one step further down the Roman road, and it's found in Romans 6, 23, and it reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think as a person who maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, doesn't know what that means, has never been covered in grace, has never walked with the Lord, this is a scary verse. Because God doesn't mince words. I think uh, so often in the world we see this new age kind of mystical stuff where they say that God's whatever you want him to be. You know, he's all about feelings you can't really know, you can't really understand. But that's not the God that I know and that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is straightforward and true. And he tells you that the wages of sin is death. And so if you are living apart from Christ, if you've never experienced him in your life, the result is death. And that's death in this life because you're not connected to the very source of life. You're disconnected from the source of everything good, of all the peace and the joy and the power that you could be walking with. You're separated from the true God of the universe. But then it's also death and eternity forever. It's separation from God, it's total loneliness, it's total darkness. That is the wage of sin. That is the price that we pay for walking apart from Christ. But something beautiful about the God of the Bible is that he never leaves you with just punishment and condemnation and judgment. He says, this is what happens if you don't know me, but this is what happens if you accept the free gift that I offer you. And so he offers that hope right after that condemnation, right after saying, this is the cost of your sin. He offers the solution by saying, this is a free gift that I give to you, eternal life through my son. And he offers that relationship. And just, you know, so many of you in this room that have a relationship with Jesus, you know the transformational power of a relationship with Jesus. You know that your life is different. You know what Christ saved you from. And so it's our responsibility to tell people about it, to share it, and to make this verse well-known so that people can know Jesus and know why they need him. So if you're reading this verse as a person like me who's experienced God's grace, who's surrendered their life to Christ, this should elicit two responses in you. Number one is gratitude for what God has done for you. And number two, a hunger to share the gospel with people who need it. So in relation to gratitude, the context of this verse, just to kind of help, help you wrap your mind around it, 
falls in the midst of a series of different contrasts. Um, so if you look at the surrounding chapters of this verse in Romans, you see in Romans 5 that there is death in Adam, but life in Christ. So there's death by living in the flesh, living according to the ways of the world, but true life is found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, um, he compares being dead to sin or alive in Christ. So it's kind of driving that same point home. Um, 6, 15 through 23, he compares being a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And 7, which got a little cut off there, compares life under the law versus life in the spirit. So life under the law where you're constantly tempted by sin, that there's no grace from the blood of Jesus, versus life in the spirit where you are free to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he equips you to walk in the way of, of the scriptures. You see, Paul, who is the author of Romans, um, and we've talked about Paul in the past numerous times, um, he met Jesus late into life, was a persecutor of Jesus' followers, and then became the author of many of the books in the New Testament. Um, Paul repeats this theme of death versus life, slavery versus freedom, to drive home the point that sin is serious. Excuse me. See, God hates sin. He has always hated sin. And he always will hate sin. Old Testament, New Testament, today and forever, God detests sin. Um, and the book of Ezekiel and the Old Testament drives this home very clearly. Um, if you're not familiar, Ezekiel was a priest. Um, in Old Testament times, he lived in the southern kingdom. So you've heard of Israel, maybe you've heard of Judah. Um, originally, it was all one big, um, one big nation. And then through sin and all kinds of wars, they split. And so Israel is on top in the north, and Judah's down south, and that's where Jerusalem is, where the temple was, um, kind of the center of the Jewish faith. And so Ezekiel's living in the south. Um, the north had been, Israel had been exiled about 100 years prior to this. And now at this time, about 110 years later, Ezekiel was writing, and they are in exile also. Exile just means they've been kicked out of their land because they have been unfaithful. God provided the Jewish people with their land, and he's taken it away because they have been so sinful. And so the book of Ezekiel then, Ezekiel in the first chapter is called by God to be a watchman for the people of Israel. He says, you are in exile, you are in Babylon, but I still have a message for my people. I still love them. Even though they've been sinful and unfaithful and they've wandered away, I still love them and I need you to proclaim my truth to them. And so Ezekiel gets a series of visions. God provides these visions to him to show the people of Israel the judgment that they are experiencing and why and the judgment that is to come. And so Israel, or Ezekiel is faithful to God in that. And for 40 chapters, if you look at the book in the Old Testament, for 40 chapters, he proclaims God's wrath and judgment against Israel and the surrounding nations for their sinful behavior. But it's never just left with judgment and wrath. At the end of almost every single chapter, God says to them, this is all happening so that they will know that I am the Lord, so that they will repent and live, so that they will return to me and know that I am God. 
And you see, the people of Israel, they had done detestable things. They had worshipped idols. They had mixed the worship of the one true God with the worship of pagan idols that required disgusting sexual rituals in the temple and the most holy of places. They were bringing in prostitutes and doing these horrible things. They were mixing the worship of God with child sacrifice, the consumption of unclean foods. They twisted God's word. They threw his law out the window. They oppressed the poor and they took advantage of the meek. And so God's judgment might seem severe, but it was certainly merited. And they had had hundreds and hundreds of years of warning. And so finally God took action and said, enough. But even in the midst of that disciplinary action of exiling his people, he's still calling out to them and teaching them truth and beckoning them home. And so in Ezekiel 18, verse 4, God says, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. And you see what I like about this verse, not that, that people die, not that sin exists, but I like that we see the consistency of our God, that he never, ever changes. And so at approximately 600 years before Christ, he's telling us that the consequences of sin is death. Just like in our verse for tonight in Romans 6, that he says the wages of sin is death. God never changes, and he has always despised sin. Romans 6, 20 through 21, the verses just before our verse for, the, for tonight says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting in that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And I know that so many people in this room resonate with those verses so well because there was a time in your life when you did not walk with the Lord, when you did not have a relationship with Jesus and you lived in sin, you lived in addiction, you lived in a cycle of brokenness that you couldn't get out of. Scripture describes it like a dog repeatedly going back to its vomit. You couldn't get out of it. And you see, that's the nature of sin. You can't beat it on your own. You can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps and become better. You need Jesus Christ to make you clean and whole and new. You see, the wages of sin is death, and I believe that is death in this life as a separation from God and death in eternity. But like we talked about a little bit ago, God never leaves it as just a proclamation of judgment and walks away. He always follows it up with a promise of hope. And so he says then in verse 22, Romans 6, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So praise be to God. Praise be to the God of the universe that if you are like me tonight, and I know so many of you are, you have something to be thankful for because you resonate with this second half of the passage just as well as you do with, with the first. You've experienced the grace of God. You've experienced forgiveness and new life and a clean slate. And you've been washed clean and you know that at the end of your life, you will stand before God and be declared righteous and holy. That word sanctification in there, I really like that word. And it means moving toward holiness and gaining victory over sin. And so as you walk through this life, if you've accepted the free gift of Jesus, you are promised power over sin through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. And you're able to gain victory over the things that enslaved you for so long. You see, we have so much to be thankful for, and I think we forget that. And that's why tonight it is so important that we as believers do not forget what the gospel means, that it means that you were set free, that your slate is clean, and that you have found the grace of God. 
And see, even in the Old Testament, God taught the same truth. At the end of Ezekiel 18, he says something very similar. At verse 32, Ezekiel 18, verse 32, God says, For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Isn't that beautiful? So turn and live. It's simple as that. It is a free gift of God. Free gift of God is salvation and forgiveness. And see, I, I love that because so often as the church and as Christians, we ask people to fix themselves. You know, you've got to do all this stuff. You need to come to church. You need to kick that, do this, do this better, and then you can come and have a relationship with Jesus. But God puts none of that into these verses. He says, turn, turn toward me and live. This is a free gift. And so not only should we be thankful for what's been done for us, but we need to take this truth, how simple the gospel is, and have a sincere hunger to share the gospel with the world around us. You see, it is our calling, our duty, not just Guy as the pastor, not just me as his wife, but your duty and your job as a person who follows Jesus Christ to take the gospel into your workplace, into your family, into your relationships, and show people through your actions and your words these truths. I love, like I said, I love that he calls this a free gift. I think so often we feel like we need to teach people how to fix themselves. You know, I have conversations with people and, and they're struggling with someone at work or someone in their family and they tell them, well, you know, your marriage is broken, but maybe if you just read this book, it'll fix it. Maybe if you, um, you know, get them into counseling, that'll fix it. Maybe if you just give them a little money, that'll fix it. And we try to put duct tape on it and Band-Aids on it and fill it up with a little bit of helium and we think that it'll help them get through but you can check off your list all day long. You can add tape and stuffing and packing tape and whatever you want to it, but it's never gonna fix the problem. They need to accept the free gift of Jesus. Only he can heal the marriages. Only he can fix the financial situations. Only he can give them peace in the storm. Only he can give them strength to go through what they're going through. And it doesn't mean it's going to make life easier. It doesn't mean that you're not gonna walk through unspeakable things that you can't even fathom. It doesn't mean that the storms aren't gonna come, but it means that if they turn to Jesus and they allow him to heal them and give them strength and wash them clean, that they will have power like they've never had before. They will have peace like they've never had before and you don't have to fix them. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. God convicted me of something just this week as I was writing this message. Um, so often I think when people come to church and they don't play church the way that we like to play church, we get a little snippy, we get a little uppity. We think, well, they come to church, you know, they sit in a pew every week, but I hear them talking this way and that way out on the street and I don't like the way they dress and I don't like the way they let their kids dress and I don't like the way they talk and they did this, did you see that? But we as people who follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ must remember that just because someone's butt is in the pew doesn't mean they have a relationship with the Lord. Doesn't mean they've accepted this free gift. And not that we are to judge anybody's salvation, but I think that if we see people coming through our doors and not behaving in a way that shows that God has changed their life, that they've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, then you need to become their best buddy. You need to be walking with them and loving them, showing them the power of Christ in your life, showing them what it means to have a living, breathing relationship with the Savior so that they can see that, hey, something's missing. 
Because coming to church isn't good enough, that it's about walking daily with the Savior. It's about turning and finding life in God. It's about accepting the free gift of Jesus. God desires that no man should die, but that all would live. And that is our ultimate responsibility, to take that to them, to take the truth to them. Um, my brother-in-law, I don't know, some of you I think have met him. He's a state trooper in Punxsie. He's just about to, to get transferred uh, to another barracks. But he's a wonderful man. He grew up Catholic, and I'm not bashing Catholics, don't take that that way. But he grew up Catholic and was raised to believe that checking the boxes, checking off the list was good enough. That if he went to Mass on a regular basis, that if he went to confession, that if he took communion, that if he did all of the things that he's told to do to be confirmed, whatever, whatever, do all of that religious stuff, that it was good enough, that he would be a good person and he was promised heaven. And so he lived that way, and he believed that, and his family believed that. But then after he and my sister got married, they started coming to the church that I grew up in, and he started to hear the power of the gospel. He started to taste the truth, to see that there is more than just checking off the boxes coming to church. He started to experience that power, and he gave his life to Christ. And Derek is a very passionate man now. He loves the Lord. He lost his grandma this year. And his greatest concern was that she knew Jesus. And he's praying with her and telling his family that Jesus is the answer, that a relationship with Jesus is the answer, not just going to mass or watching it on TV. And he wears bracelets on his wrist now with scriptures. And when he has convicts in the back of his car, he's telling them that their lives matter, that there's a God that cares, that they have value and purpose, and that it's only through that free gift of Jesus that their life can be transformed, that they don't have to live this way anymore. It's awesome what God has done in his life. And we have another friend who grew up in a similar background. Um, I cry because I'm a mom and I have a lot of hormones. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just awesome what God does. Um, we have another friend, Tim, who grew up with a really similar background as my brother-in-law. And he had never experienced a relationship with Jesus. He was in a family that was broken, a lot of alcoholics, a lot of drinking, abandonment issues, just junk. And all he knew of church was that it was rules. But then he met his wife and we became friends with them and they got plugged into a church that teaches the truth, that teaches the power of the gospel in a person's life. And he is a changed person. He's on boards at their church. His wife is heavily involved in their church. And we went with, uh, went on a walk with them a couple weeks ago. And he said, it's so fun to be on the other side. It's so fun to be on the other side of this, to not just be rules and regulations, but to have a real relationship with Jesus. And you, my friends, have the opportunity to help people experience that kind of life change to realize how fun it is to be on the other side, that it's not just rules and regulations, and that they don't have to fix themselves, they don't have to beat the addiction, they don't have to do it on their own, that they have to turn and accept the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. So tonight, there are some new faces here. I don't know all of you. I don't know your stories. If you don't know Jesus, I want to introduce you to him. It's simple. There's not a big formula, a big prayer you have to say. You simply have to.
to ask him, say, God, I want that relationship with you. I'm turning. I'm turning right now because I want to live. I'm turning from my sin and I lay it at your feet and I ask you for forgiveness. I want a new life. And I tell you, you will be transformed and changed and made new. And it is a beautiful, wonderful life filled with power and peace and joy like you've never felt before. And for everybody else here, we have to take these truths. We have to take the verses of this Roman road and the gospel and express our gratitude to God every day for what he's done. Don't forget where he's brought you from. Be grateful and thankful for the person that he has made you. And then share what he's done with everyone in your sphere of influence. Show them what the power of the gospel means in your life, who you were and who you are now, and explain to them that it's not something that you did, but it was the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. You and I hold the keys, and we hold the keys to hope and freedom for the entire world. And so I challenge you this week to take it out and share it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you so much that we don't have to earn forgiveness and grace, that we don't have to go to church so many times and get our finances together and fix our marriage before we can come to you. Lord, but that we simply come and say, Lord Jesus, I need your healing, I need your help, and that you will forgive us and that you will heal us and you will give us new life, that the change comes after we've met you. And so, Lord, I just, I thank you for the way you've changed my life and for Derek and Tim and for my husband and so many people in this room that have experienced that change. Lord, we praise you for that, for your grace, for your mercy, that you desire that no one should die in sin, but that all would turn and live. Lord, I pray that you encourage us, that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would convict us of people that we need to go to with the truth, would bring people to mind that need to hear about Jesus, that need to hear that they aren't good enough by just being a good person and that they need the free gift of Jesus's blood. So Lord, I just pray that you send us out in power this week to speak the truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.